so we're starting a series. We thought about like renaming it from Modern Family to Get Fit for Life because we're in a gymnasium. But we're going to stick with Modern Family. We're talking about families here for a few moments. I want to show you some pictures. So let's flash some pictures, and I hope you can see this okay. So look at that family. And the question is, I mean, look how perfect they are. I mean, everything is just right. Does that remind you of your family that you grew up in? Like, is, it, is, your, is that the kind of pictures when you guys went for family portraits or did, like, nobody show up? Or how, how did it work for you? Let's look at, look at that. Isn't that beautiful? That's a perfect, that's a perfect family. Give me another one. Give me another perfect family. Nah. Huh? Look at that. Isn't that excellent? I think we have one more. Don't we have one more? There you go. There's mom and dad, and that's you in between, and you, you know, used to vacation down the Caribbean all the time, and just loved each other with the white shirts on everybody's got the and tan i mean that's just absolutely incredible does that which one of those families looks like your family you know one of the things i love about church is we come together and we get to be with other families right here who are perfect i mean you know that's the great thing you're surrounded by perfect families families who don't have all kinds of dysfunction and there's not all kinds of fighting going on in the family and everybody treats each other with love and respect. I mean, none of these families here fight on the way to church. I mean, we don't do that kind of stuff. And it's just great to be in that atmosphere. And the reason it's great is because that's exactly what it's like in the Bible. I mean, all the families you read about in the Bible, I mean, there's no dysfunction there. Things, things are nice and smooth and perfect, just like the pictures. It's great. I thought we could just, as we begin this series on modern family, could we just take a moment and review some of those perfect families in the Bible and how God did these awesome and incredible things? So let's think right off the bat. Adam and Eve, our first parents, they were absolutely wonderful, weren't they? I mean, this, you know, they, great parents. They didn't have a lot of the distractions that we do today. Their kids weren't on iPods or they didn't want to go to the mall and see a movie. There was no other kids from the neighborhood always knocking on the door or anything like that. I mean, it was just Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and they just loved on each other and they poured their lives into these boys and they helped to get them kind of you know i don't know what is it self-actualized or whatever they helped them to deal with 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 life so I, they missed that one you know that one teaching session with their kids about how to deal with disappointment and that backfired on them a little bit their first family and one day cain got a little upset his brother abel and he just killed him but if you if you ignore that if you're just kind of like act as if that murder didn't take place then then you're really okay they're actually awesome awesome parents wonderful parents right so that's uh that's adam that's adam and eve how about noah so the world had become so bad everybody and god looked at the plants oh my gosh every intent in every single person's heart is evil it's wicked and so there's going to be this massive flood and i'm going to pick the best of the best i'm going to pick the most righteous person and the best parent the best father i can find this guy i'm looking down his name is noah this guy's great Again, ark and put the ark i'm going to get your three boys let's put them on the ark boom safety all right let's all right so they get off the ark and here you've got this great father noah he's the best that the world has to offer he's got his three sons they're off the, i don't know how long they're off the ark four months years whatever one day he just gets slammed drunk falling down just 
blitzed everybody. He, he, he takes all his clothes off, and he just, he just laying out, just completely lost it. None of our dads ever did that, but Noah did that, and he's completely, absolutely out of it. And his son, Ham, all right? These guys got a bad enough time. The guy's name is Ham. How many of us are going to name our kids Ham? Hey, Ham, come here, right? So he's got like this self-esteem thing going and arrogance. So he brings, you know, Ham walks by the tent, and he, when he walks by, there's Dad, you know, just blitzed and he's like oh my gosh he goes tell his two brothers hey man did you see dad he's in there he's just completely drunk he's naked all this kind of stuff well when dad comes to right when noah he's a righteous man he's a good father he comes to and he realizes what he did so he goes to ham he's ham i'm so sorry i should have never done that i set a bad example for you i shouldn't have got just all you know i would you please forgive me for what i did is that what he did anybody know did he do that he didn't do that what did he do you know what he said? You know what he said, everybody? He said, cursed is Ham. In his self-righteousness, in his pride, and his arrogance, he gets angry at Ham. And cursed are you, Ham, the lowest of the low you will be the rest of your life, out of his own impatience and selfishness. Now, how many of us here this morning had a parent that ripped our heart out with the words they said? Some of us identify with that so strongly some, some of us have a parent this morning, and it's vivid in your mind right now. You had a parent, you had a grandparent, and man, they cut your heart. It left a wound so deep. Maybe it happened 20, 30, 40 years ago, but you are wounded deeply by what they said. I can remember to this day, I know where I was, I know when it happened, and I know all the circumstances surrounded when my grandfather ripped into my heart one day out of his own ignorance and selfishness, and he just ripped me. I'll never forget it. Those wounds are hard to get over. A lot of dysfunction. And that's what happened in Noah's family. I want to say real quick, if you're a parent here, I just want to say real quick, if you are a parent here and you have kids, please consider, first of all, be careful what you say, but please consider going to your kids and just saying to them, look them right in the eye, have I ever said something that's wounded you deeply? Because I have to, before Almighty God, make things right with you. Have I ever wounded you so deeply that you're going to carry that with you the rest of your life. We've got to make this thing right. That's Noah. Abraham, father of the faithful. Abraham, the man of faith, father of the faithful. What did he do? Well, um, you know, he gave his wife away twice to other men. Did you all grow up in a home where your father, like, really respected your mother and set that example? I mean, Abraham was a great man of faith, but two different times in his life, he knew he was wrong. He gave his wife away to another man. Not cool. Jacob. Jacob had how many sons? Who knows how many sons, Jacob? Twelve is the answer you're looking for. All right. Who was his favorite son? Joseph was his favorite son. So Jacob's sons, the other ten who couldn't stand uh, Joseph so much. They weren't like Cain. They didn't get mad and say, let's kill him. Actually, they were much worse. They said, you know what? We want to kill him, but it just seems so bad that you know, all that pain would be over with in five minutes or less. Let's torture him for 30 or 40 years. Let's sell him into slavery so that he lives a life of regret. That's how bad it was. Because his father played the favorite. Any of you guys come from a family 
Well, your parents had a favorite. Your grandparents had a favorite. You all come from that kind of family? I didn't realize it. I did. I didn't even know. I was so stupid. I didn't even know this. My other cousins had to tell me, oh, yeah, that's granddad's favorite. I thought, oh, my gosh, now that makes sense. Now I got it. It doesn't feel good. Some of us were the favorites. and Some of us weren't the favorites. And we know the pain of what that means. That's Jacob. David, oh, complete mess. Solomon, <laughs> messier, his son. So the deal with Solomon is this. I mean, he's just got oodles of wives, and so he has like a billion kids. They're all over the place, kids all over the place. So what does a dad do who the only thing he's concerned about is entertaining dignitaries from all over the world that is going to come and sit at his great feet and listen to his wisdom because he was the wisest man that ever lived, but incredibly stupid when he came to his family. What does he do? What does he say to his kids when they say, hey, you know, can we, you know, can you let whoever, Queen of Sheba, can you put her on hold? Can you talk to me, Dad, for a few moments? I have a problem with you know, X, Y, and Z, or I don't know how to do algebra or something. What does he say? Not now, son. Not now, daughter. Not now. I'm busy. Anybody else have our parents who said that to us all the time? Not now. Move away. Not now. You're blocking the TV. Not now. I'm working on something. Not now. And if we're parents here, if that's a steady diet that's coming out of our mouths all the time, not now. Not now. That's a problem. That's Solomon. All right. This is fairly depressing. Uh, so... Let's end on a high note if we can. Can we end on a high note? Would that be okay? High note? Joseph and Mary. Aha. Now we get to the good stuff. Who, who here would say they did not do a good job raising Jesus Christ? Would anybody stand up and say, they did a terrible job raising Jesus? They did a great job raising Jesus. They were the perfect parents. And as so long as you forget about that one time they took that trip to Jerusalem, right? Took a trip to Jerusalem with Jesus. He's 12 years old. And they left. They were gone from the city for three days, making their way back home. And it hit them on the road. Oh, my gosh. We forgot Jesus. Talk about neglect. I mean, whoa. This is not good. This is not good. Here's what I want you, here, here's what I want you to hear. The Bible does not present us with perfect families. It doesn't. This church community here, we are not perfect. People say to me sometimes, John, you'll never understand me. You'll never understand. I've actually, people, a lot of them, you'll never understand me. Because everything's just perfect for you. you got it perfect. <laughs> oh, really? I wish that was the case. My family has experienced its own brokenness, your family. And, and, and here's the deal, everybody. God, through his power, his mercy, his grace, his love, works through broken lives and broken families to tell his story. Because all of us are broken. We're all broken. But God can still do wonderful things. I, my parents divorced when I was about 30 years old. And I went into an identity crisis. All of a sudden, when my parents divorced, it was like a floodgate opened up, and I heard all this stuff about my family that I was clueless to. Clue, it just came out about my dad and my grand. I mean, it was just coming. It was like coming in tidal waves. I was like, oh, my gosh, I thought I was somebody all my life, and now I'm realizing I'm not. I, I didn't know who I was. I was. Six months, a year, I couldn't figure it out. Who am I? And you know what I used to think about it? I said, oh, Lord. Thank goodness I'm like 30 years old. What would I be like if I was 12? If you're here this morning, your parents divorced, and like they went through that divorce when you were very young, 
my heart goes out to you. Because I had it bad. I have it nearly as bad as if it would have, you know, my life would have been a wreck if that happened when I was 13. The thing is, is that God works through broken families and he can work through your life, no matter how broken you are here today. And there are no perfect families. And what I want to talk about this morning is Moses talks to us. He gathers all Israel together before him. He's at the end of his life the end of his reign, and he's learned some things. He tried to do things his own way during a period of time in his life, and he learned that wasn't the best way. And now he says, I want to tell you what matters most, and I want to tell you how you can experience a life of blessing. No matter how much brokenness you go through, no matter how much tragedy you go through, your life can still be a blessed life. Listen to what I have to say. This is Moses' final thoughts on the matter. It's actually Excellent. So for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about five values from Moses' farewell speech. I want to cover the first value today, and here's what it is. You have to imagine the end. You have to figure out where is it that you're going? Who do you want to become? If you're a parent, you think about what do I want my kids to become? Once I know where I'm going, it makes things so much more simple about the decisions I make today. Does that make sense? So if I know I'm headed in a certain direction, okay, now today that means I have to make certain decisions in keeping with my final destination. This is the point that Moses is trying to get across. What is the end in the Bible? particularly the end, the final destination, the place that all of us are supposed to head to in the book of Deuteronomy. It is all over the place from start to finish. The end is a blessed life, that you would live a blessed life because you're obedient to God's word. Moses just makes that so clear all over the place in the Bible. Let me say this. Sometimes when we hear this thing about living a blessed life, people think that, oh, okay, well, you're going to be healthy, you're going to be wealthy, you're never going to experience any tragedy, you're going to have a Rolex on your finger, you're going to drive a Mercedes, you know, everything's just going to be perfect. That's not what a blessed life is in the Bible. That's not what a blessed life is in the Bible. The Apostle Paul said he lived a blessed life, a life beyond blessing. He lived an incredible life and he experienced tragedy after tragedy after. So what's a blessed life? A blessed life means that the world is going to deal you, your family is going to deal you dysfunction and brokenness. But if you would adhere to what Moses is about ready to say here, if you would adhere to it, your life will be far better than what it could be. That's the blessing you will fulfill. Blessed life is living out God's will for your life and his will and in his way. So this is what we're going to talk about this morning. All right, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is the end of 5 and the beginning of chapter 6, all the way through 6 actually. And look how many times Moses says, so that, so that, so that. He's trying to communicate something to us. He says, walk in all the ways of the Lord your God that God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper. Fear the Lord your God, as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and his commands that I give you. Why? So that you may enjoy a long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey. Why should I obey? So that it may go well with you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight. Why should I do what's right in the Lord's sight? So that it may go well with you. The Lord commanded us to obey all his decrees and to fear the Lord our God. Why? Why should I obey his laws and decrees? So that we might always prosper. Moses knew what he was talking about. Moses was very well educated. He was rich. He was a prince in Egypt. You have this guy who is on top of the world. And he said, you know what? I will do things my way. 
So one day when he decides to help his people, the Israelites out, he says, I'll do it my own way in my own time. And so he goes out and he kills an Egyptian and it backfires on him. And so what he's saying to the Israelites now, just before his death, he says, I've tried it my own way. Let me tell you the way that works. He loves them as children. He says, let me tell you the way that actually works. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to understand what you're saying to us this morning and how we can live out this blessed life that your word tells us is our destination. In Christ's name, amen. Once you know your destination, once you know where you're going, it simplifies things right here, right now, today. Okay, I want to go to Florida. We always went to Florida as kids. I want to go to Florida. What do I do? I go out right out here, this parking lot, and I get on Glebe Road. I hang a left. I go down to 95. I get on it going south, and I just go. It's pretty simple, isn't it? 95 south all the way. Right? Well, here's the thing. You know what the destination is. The destination is that every single one of us in this room live a blessed life. We're in the center of God's will. We're experiencing his blessings. It's all that he wants us to be, right? So if that's the final destination, it affects my decisions that all of us are going to make right here, right now, today, right? So Florida, even though I want to get there as the destination, I might get sidetracked along the way. You know, the trip to Florida is not always easy, and it was really tough a few years ago. Does anybody can remember far back when 95 South didn't go as a straight shot all the way through to Florida? Like it stopped in Southern Virginia, North Carolina. There was sections in South Carolina and Georgia that actually you had to get off on side roads. Anybody here that old that can remember that kind of stuff? Okay. So that was a very long, 16 hours. You can do it in 12 now, 16 hours. That was a miserable, miserable trip. Long trip. Now, which made it extra uh, difficult for me is my sister, who's sitting right over here in the stands, my sister liked to spread out all over the back seat. And uh, she wanted completely uninhibited area to lay down. I mean, like the whole thing. And so my mom, every trip, would say, Johnny, just shut up and get in the floor. And so (laughs) I had to sit... 15-year-old kid sitting all curled up like a ball in the floor. So my sister, can you believe she would do this? She's happy. Look, she's smiling. She's like, ah, she thinks it's great. And there I am in the floor. So it was a miss. You know, it's tough to be curled up in a ball for 16 hours in the back so your sister can sleep. So I had to look for So here's Moses saying, he said, I'm going to give you some helps along. We need some helps on the leg. So what helped me on my way as I went to Florida? Well, you know what? What helped me? Those stupid south of the border billboards that came about every five feet who is this guy has anybody ever done a story on this guy what is up with him but i thought that i was just you know peeking out from the floorboard looking the window looking at the billboards that would come by and then my mom would have these celebrations every time we crossed a different state line Woo, north carolina Woo, south carolina you know she would get into this right It was a long trip, and I needed help along the way. Oh, the illegal fireworks in South Carolina also were a big help to me. So Moses gives us three helps that are going to take us along the way, and I'm going to put them all in the form of a question, everybody. What does God's word say? It's a question question that I would like you to remember to ask. What does God's word say? Particularly, I want you to say these words. What does God's word say about that? Could you help me say that? Would you repeat that? What does God's word say about that? Can you help me? One, two, three. What does God's word say about that? It's very specific. What does God's word say about something specifically that I'm going through in life? Now, I want to read this to you. Deuteronomy chapter 6. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your heart. This is one of the most important sections of all the Bible, Moses' farewell speech. And this is what he says. 
impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you're walking along the road, when you're lying down, when you get up. Tie these symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What in the world? Moses is talking about the importance of God's word, but not head knowledge. Get me wrong. I mean, look, we get this messed up a lot, particularly in church. We become all self-righteous, indignant. We gain a bunch of head knowledge, and we tell everybody else what they're doing wrong. Not what Moses is talking about here. He's talking about gaining a heart knowledge, a true understanding of God's mercy and his grace and what his word is calling us to do for the best life, not so somebody can feel like they're second best because they're not living up to it, but what is being described here, everybody, is to talk to your kids in the everyday things of life. I'm having trouble with little Johnny on the playground. Oh, Sally Sue, let's talk about what does the Bible have to say about that? So uh, yesterday, Saturday, well, here's, let me back up. My wife is going away to this music festival with my son this, this weekend, and we found out about this on Friday afternoon. I've got all this chaos going on, and right before Crystal leaves, she says, hey, they're having a three-and-a-half-hour training session at Gracie's school tomorrow morning at 8.30 in the morning. Parents have to go with their child you can't just send her you have to go with her and you have to be there by 8 30 and it's going to take three and a half hours to sit through and my immediate reaction was i'm sorry she's going to miss it (laughs) and she said gracie is going to be there do you know what i'm saying (laughs) okay so i went and uh (laughs) fascinating thing this is what they let off with 21st century research, all this technology, all, we are smart people, everybody, and all this research has come together, and you know what educators have found out? Listen to this, particularly if you have a student, but check this out, that as a parent, if you talk to your kids, like around the dinner table about the stuff they're learning in school, if you just simply talk to them, what are you learning in school? Let's talk about that around the dinner table. They will do not better as students, they will do significantly better as learners and as students. Now, 4,000 years ago, no research team, just the inspiration of Almighty God. Moses says, you know what? Talk at the dinner table with your kids about God's word. Talk about what they're learning. Talk about this. You know why? Because it has this huge impact. Everybody, the Bible is brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. 4,000 years ago, this is exactly Moses saying, hey, Israel, listen up. Talk to your kids. So when you're having a problem, a financial problem, not your kids, you, the thing that come rolling off your tongue immediately, I wonder what God's word says about that. You're having a relationship problem. You're having conflict with somebody. That the way to be successful and to live a blessed life before almighty God, that things will be as good as possible, is the first question just rolls right off your tongue. I wonder what God's word says about that. How should I handle my money? I wonder what God's word says about that. I have conflict with my neighbor or my coworker. I wonder what God's word says about that. I'm angry. I wonder what God's word says about that. Right? I'm jealous. I, I have a lot of unforgiveness. I wonder what God's word says about that. It's as easy as asking that question. I wonder what God's word says about that. In Numbers 13 and 14, we have the story of the first time the Israelites were at the edge of the promised land, everybody, getting ready to walk into the promised land. And God says, okay, here's the land I'm giving you. So God speaks, this is what I'm giving you. So they send these 12 spies in and they come back and they say, man, that land is awesome. 
Two of them say, let's go get it. The other 10 say, no way. There's problems. We shouldn't do it. And Moses says, yes, yes, we should. We, sh- we should go. And they say, well, okay, Moses, we're going to stone you. We're going to kill you. Sick and tired of you. And for the next 40 years, they are miserable in the desert wandering. Now, look, one question. That's all they need to ask. What God's word say about that? Should we go into the land? Should we go in? What's God's word say about that? You know what, everybody? It's as simple as that. When I'm sitting at this conference yesterday with my daughter at 8.30 in the morning, when I have so many other things to do, uh, you know what her school tells me from all their research? They said, you know what? Grades, you know, we're not so big on grades around here. I'm thinking, man, why don't I go to this school? Uh, you know, <laughs> grades aren't really a big, big deal to us. We have to give them because we have to give them. But what we have found in all of our infinite wisdom and research is this thing, that if we can infect your child with a sense of wonder, a love for learning, and a passion and joy from learning, they will do great as students. Not grade-driven, but with this sense of wonder. What's Moses saying here? If we, everybody, can develop that same sense of love and passion and wonder about God's word. Some of you have it, some of you don't, some of you've had it at some time and now you've lost it. But when you have that, and here, here, how do you get it? Well, you can pray about it. And I asked the prayer team, they're going to meet right over here afterwards. Anybody wants prayer, come over there. One of the best things, if you want to live a blessed life, you want to move towards a blessed life, is to have this incredible love and passion for learning. So you can pray about it. But here's something else you can do. Every time you're confronted with a situation where you have to make a decision, you simply ask this incredibly elementary question. I wonder what God's word says about that. And as you begin to pursue that, things unfold. Second thing that's going to help us along the way is this. What happens when I fear God? It's another question. I wonder what happens when I fear God. What's up with God saying I need to fear him? Because it says it right here in Deuteronomy 6.13. Moses says, here's my parting shot to you. Right? You need to have this love and passion and ingrained in you the word of God. And you know what else you need? You need the fear of God. What does that mean? I need to be cowering? No, he's not saying that. Fear, in this instance, because he gave it right after he gave the Ten Commandments, he says, God needs to be number one. That's what fear means. It means to have an awesome reverence for Almighty God, who God is, that God is number one in my life, that my pleasures and my pursuits and my happiness and my money and all these things, football, None of these things. That God is clearly number one. And what results when God is clearly number one? Check it out how it leads us towards a blessed life. Look what it says. Deuteronomy 6.24. The Lord commanded us to obey all his decrees and to fear God. So that what? So that we could prosper. So that things can go as good as possible. And that we will be kept alive. How many times do I talk to somebody and say, you know, I feel like I'm just existing. I'm not really living. Well, God says, if that's the case, you have to ask yourself this question. Is God number one? Am I really fearing God? All right. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You want to be wise in how you live. How about this one? Psalm 31, how great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. Psalm 103, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear fear him what happens when you fear god when you put god number one in your life when god is clearly above all else god says you're going to live a blessed life things are going to fall together now let's think about this 
You're going to have, you got, all of us have somebody we respect, hopefully in this life. Maybe you got some celebrity you really look up to. You just think they're absolutely awesome. They're an incredible celebrity and they're coming over to your house. And they're going to have dinner. They show up to your house for dinner one night and they walk in and you say, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, you know, I just think, man, you're just absolutely, I look, I can't, you can't even imagine how much I look up to you. So we're going to have dinner. Last night we were out and we had McDonald's and I got a couple leftover McNuggets and I got a, a leftover, you know, in the refrigerator here, a Big Mac. So I just thought we'd feast on that. Is that cool? Could we have the leftovers? Nobody would do that. We wouldn't do that. Do we ever give God leftovers? Do do we always give God leftovers? Do we always give God our leftover time and energy and talent and thoughts and schedules and money? Do we do, do we do that? I do all the time. I've been very open about this consistently over the years. One of my biggest battles where God has been so clear, John, if I'm number one in your life, then when you wake up in the day, because I'm a little bit type A. All right, so when I wake up in the morning, I'm thinking, I need to check the email. I need to check my schedule. I need to check the news and do all this. And God says, you know what? If I'm number one, I want you to check in with me first. Simple. It's pretty simple, isn't it? I want you to check in with me first. You'd think it would be simple to do that, wouldn't you? All of us have our problems. I'm telling you right now, that is like Goliath to me. It is so hard for God to be number one. What's your, what, what are you dealing with? All of us got somewhere where there's something else trying to be number one in our life. And I'm telling you, for me right now, and consistently for the last 20 years of my life, that has been right there. I'm battling every day with that. And when it is, when I check in with God first, and I consistently do that, I'm moving toward the right destination. And when I consistently don't do that, I'm not. What is it for you? Last point. I know you're getting tired sitting on those wonderful bleachers. I just want to say one last little tidbit that's going to help you to get from where you're sitting here right now on those bleachers to God's destination for your life, which is a blessed life. What's going to help you? Here's the final help. Another question. What has God done for you? If somebody was to ask you, come up to you and say, hey, I, I heard that you go to church. Can you tell me? Just go ahead. Tell me, what, God, what has God done for you? Just, just let it flow. And they said that, and you went, uh, well, you know, God's good. Yeah, I know God's good. Can you tell me what he's done for you? Well, you know, God's awesome. Yeah, I know he's awesome. Could you tell me what he's done for you? Well, you know, this guy named Jesus and he's Savior and all this. Oh, yeah, that's good. Can you tell me what he has done for you? And if you hesitate or I hesitate with that answer, there is a problem. Now, let's read this. Deuteronomy 6. So this is the last help that Moses gives us here. Look what he says. In the future, when your children come and ask you, what is the meaning of these stipulations and laws? My goodness. Do we have to obey all these Ten Commandments, the lie and the cheat? And it just helps. It's more convenient sometimes to lie, cheat, and steal, right? Do we have to obey these regulations that the Lord our God has given us? And then he says this, you must tell them. Tell them what? We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with amazing power. Before our eyes, the Lord did miraculous signs and wonders, dealing terrifying blows against Egypt. And Pharaoh and all his people, he brought us out of Egypt so he could give us this land. What does he say? He says, tell him the story. Really? That's the best you got, Moses? Tell him the story? Can't you give me something else besides tell him the story? He says, no, man. I want you to tell him your story of the great things that I have done. Well, you think, man, that's pretty easy. It's an awesome story. 
That's an awesome story. I mean, I don't know. If I'd been in Egypt and I'd been a slave and all of a sudden, you know, plagues and Red Sea parting and all this kind of stuff and water out of rock and manna and quail, and I'm thinking, man, I'm telling that story all the time. But who can tell me here what was the attitude of the Israelites in the desert for 40 years? Who knows that answer? Grumbling and complaining. So their story was great, but all of a sudden life just stunk. You know what I mean? You ever been there where your life just stinks? I mean, you know, you went to the grocery store and somebody took your parking space and life is just, man, cannot believe how bad life is. And we get caught up in that sometimes. What was their attitude? It was grumbling and complaining. Here's where I am, everybody. When my heart is filled with gratitude about something genuinely, I can't stop talking about it. When I'm excited about something, I can't stop talking about it. I'm like, woo, man, let me tell you what's happened. I'm very excited because I want to give gratitude. I'm filled with gratitude. But when I'm grumbling, I have a hard time thinking about what God has done for me. Okay? So I want to show you real quick a video clip. It's only 60 seconds long. Let me set it up, and then we're going to end. All right? So here's the thing. Oprah. I don't watch the Oprah show. I want to be honest with you. But I was at a conference with my community group about a week ago, and they showed this clip from an Oprah show, and it was awesome. Oprah does something called My Favorite Things. Has anybody ever heard of that? I don't even know what it is. I mean, I didn't know what I do now. Anybody? No Oprah? You all hate Oprah? Okay. Uh, She does this thing, My Favorite Things. And her favorite things is she's got, like, favorite slippers and a favorite watch and whatever, favorite books and Sometimes, you know, things that are her favorite are quite expensive. And so what she does is nobody knows this, but they're in her audience. They think they're coming for a regular show. And all of a sudden she says, whoa, this is my favorite things. And everybody there gets slippers and watches and cruises and sometimes cars. And they get all this stuff, cool stuff. Would you please watch this for a second and notice the reaction to all this? All right, let's let's, roll the tape. I would say this, though. I would say that... The truth is that when you meditate, it allows you to think about a lot of things and to clear channel for giving, giving to others. So how about we meditate on this? I love Oprah. I mean, she's awesome. She's just got such a wonderful heart. It was almost like you're at a worship service there, wasn't it? You know what I mean? You know, here's the interesting thing is, is that um, she's not giving out salvation. She's not giving out eternal life. She's not giving out forgiveness for your sins for all of eternity. She's giving you a pair of slippers that in three years from now, you're not even going to want to see anymore because they're nasty. She's giving away watches that amount to nothing. She's giving that out. And those people are about ready to come completely unglued. 
They're ex- so excited about it. It's absolutely awesome. But she's not giving away eternal life. Look, listen, listen. Your life might really stink right now. You hate your bank account. You hate the way your relationships are going. You're not happy with your career. You're not happy with your looks. There's nothing you're happy about. It absolutely stinks. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ, and you'll find this nowhere, search the planet for it, God Almighty has left heaven, humbled himself. Do you ever hear about God humbling himself? No, God has humbled himself, took on flesh, took on beatings, took on death on a cross, the most horrendous way to die, hung on a cross so that for all of eternity you can experience paradise. Now, is that better than slippers? Is that anywhere better? I know your life stinks right now, but is that anywhere better than the fact that 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, this ends, and an infinite amount of time in the future, all you get to experience is paradise because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Is that, any, is that anywhere near a realm of being excited about something like that and being grateful for that you've been set free from that kind of bondage? Is that something to get excited about? So I want to say to you, if you're down in the dumps today, you should be the most excited person in this room. You know why? Some will say, well, man, I, I, I do understand. Don't get me. I understand. I understand pain. But the deal is, is as tough as things are here, the greater your pleasure, the greater your reward is going to be in heaven. That's what the Bible indicates. There is something that all of us can be thankful for and have gratitude for. Three helps. Imagine the end where you're trying to get. Sense of wonder and a love and a passion for God's word. Let it be in your hearts, not just in your heads. Fear God. Put God number one and be grateful. Tell the story over and over again till it fills your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you have done for all of us. That God, no matter how difficult our lives are right here, right now, this morning, our families are broken. We've been wounded deeply. I want to thank you, God, that you have provided for us a way out. That you have promised us paradise as we put our faith and trust in you. So God, help us to keep our eyes on the end. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you.